Moses has been exiled from Egypt. He has gone to the land of Midian. He's lived there for 40 years in obscurity. And you know the story. He comes to Mount Sinai. He sees the burning bush that is not consumed. So he goes up and there is the presence of the Lord. And the Lord says, take the sandals from your feet for where you're standing is holy ground. This is the great announcement of the name of the Lord, the I am who I am. And that comes after these verses. But I want to read verses 10 through 12 and talk about this here. The Lord says in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You might say, what, what is so special about those verses? Well, let's talk about this. Verse 10, this is kind of the summary statement of everything God's told Moses so far. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. God gave Moses an incredible task. He gave him a great purpose. This is the reason Moses was alive. This is the reason he was spared when Pharaoh was trying to kill all the baby boys. This is the reason that he survived in the wilderness all those years and God had kept him around because God had a reason. He had a purpose that God had given him. I'm going to use you to lead my people out of Egypt. And the good news is that we likewise as Christians, have a purpose to our lives. We have a destiny that God has given to us. There's a reason that you are alive in Christ. God saved you because he loved you. God saved you because he wanted to see you in heaven for eternity. But there's also another reason. God has work for you to do. God is out trying to save the whole world and to push back the darkness and establish his authority over all nations. And he wants to use you to do it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, So we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Y'all know I love that verse. That's the divine to-do list. We are his workmanship. God made us in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. God didn't just create you and save you and say, Now go, go do some good stuff. God goes, I've saved you. Now I have a plan for you. In 1 Corinthians 7, 17, it says, Let each person live the life that God has assigned to him, the life to which God has called him. So if you want to say, well, a calling is for guys like Moses. A calling is for pastors and prophets and theologians, and I'm not any of those things. He says, let each person live the life to which God has called him. You have a life, it says, has been assigned to you. So it's important that you connect with Moses here, that just as God told Moses, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt, God's got a purpose for your life too. He's got something he's called you to do, whether that's bring restoration to your family, where there's been all kinds of disruption and problems, whether that's something that God wants you to bring about outside your family. He wants to bring change to the workplace where you live, whether the Lord wants to use you to make something, write something, paint something, sing something that the church will benefit from, whether that's somebody that the Lord wants to use you to save that no one else is able to reach. No one else will listen to them, to the gospel, but I'll listen to you. Maybe that's why God's called you and set you aside. In fact, there's probably a lot of things 
There's a list of things to do, works prepared beforehand. So you've got that, that great purpose just like Moses did. But very often, we react just like Moses did. Who am I that I should do this? We see ourselves and we say, I'm not capable of my calling. I'm not able to fulfill what God has called me to do. You ever felt that way? When you kind of know there's something you're supposed to do, and you're like, ugh, I don't know. Uh, God sends somebody else. Sometimes you see something and you see the need. This is how you know if you're called to do something. You see the need and it gets you fired up and passionate and you start to get a little ticked off that nobody else seems to care. Why does anybody else care about that? And God goes, because I'm calling you to do it. Oh, Lord, I pray you'd send somebody. He goes, well, how about you? Oh, no, not me. It couldn't be me. I'm too busy for that. I couldn't do that. I don't have the skills. I don't have the, the words Moses would go on to say. And let's be honest. You are very right. You are not capable to do what God has called you to do. God doesn't call us to do things that we can already do. So it's, it's funny because we say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. That, that is true. If you understand that you have the power of the Holy Spirit with you. And if you lean on God, there's nothing that you can't handle. It's important to know that. It matters that God is with us. Moses says in verse 11, who am I? But in verse 12, God says, I will be with you. Who cares who you are, Moses? I'll be with you. You plus God is enough. God alone would be enough, but he's chosen to use you. Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's nothing that is beyond you if you are in Christ. We'll talk about this another day, but there is a danger to start thinking that it's you that is so special. Like Samson, who thought he was something else, until finally they cut his hair and it's like, oh yeah, it was God, it wasn't me. But more often than not, I think we're too scared to step into what God's called us to do, or we think that we're presuming on, our, on ourselves. And God gives Moses here a sign to reassure him. And this is the part that got me thinking. He says, this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. And Moses kind of leaning in. Okay, well, what is it, Lord? When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And we go, that's not a sign. <laughs> that's kind of an obscure sign, isn't it? I was expecting like lightning from heaven or like what about the, the Gideon fleece where like it's wet one day and then it's dry the next? Or what about later on where he's going to pick up this, this snake and it's going to turn into a staff? Those are signs. But he just said, when you brought the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God on this mountain. That seems obscure, doesn't it? It almost seems non-existent. It almost feels like God is trying to dodge giving them a sign, but that's not the case. What is the sign God's giving him? The sign that God is giving him is a picture of the end goal. The picture of the end goal. We might call this the vision that God gives. Very often, and my life has been the case, God does not give us signs. God does not give us signs when we ask. You ever asked for one? God, give me a sign that I'm supposed to marry this woman, and nothing comes. And sometimes we can tweak the signs to be just what we want to do. Lord, if you want me to marry this girl, let the sun come up tomorrow morning. Oh, there it goes. It's a sign, you know. But most of the time, God doesn't do that. And in fact, Jesus would say to the Pharisees, he said, a foolish and adulterous generation asks for a sign. So there are times where it's even wrong to look for a sign. So what does God do? God paints us a picture. He says, Moses, here's your sign. One of these days, you look down from this mountain, Moses. 
This mountain is not just going to be a burning bush. It's going to be a burning mountain. And all around are going to be all of your people free from their slave masters in Egypt. And they're going to bow down and worship me freely on this mountain. Can you see it, Moses? Can you see what I'm going to do through you? He gives us a hunger. He gives us a fire. He gives us a picture of what's going to happen. And we call that vision. And that's the only sign that God gave Moses. Throughout all his struggles, Moses could only hold on to the hope of that fulfilled vision. When he shows up to Egypt and Pharaoh says, not only am I not going to let them go, uh, I'm going to double their workload, Moses. And then the people said, what did you come here for again? You know, you nothing but trouble, Moses. And he's like, well, I guess that didn't work. All he had to hold on to was that vision that God had given him. We're going to worship the Lord at that mountain. Holding on to that. Now that takes faith. All it is is to trust that what God said is enough. The fire, the passion that he's given you is enough and that it's going to happen because he said it. That's faith, is it not? I believe that God is going to do this. And we as people, as a church, as a nation, we've got to hold on to the vision that we've received from the Lord. When God puts that, that picture in your heart of what things could be, for your life, when he puts things for your family or your church or even the nation, you've got to hold on to that and keep going when things get difficult, trusting that God has sent us to do this and he meant what he said. And I made this point a few weeks ago, but I want to, I want to do something. There were several other saints in the Bible that went through this exact same thing where they weren't given a sign, they were given a vision and that was their sign. I want to look at seven of these guys because they, they all teach us a different lesson of how we can endure anything if we have a vision from the Lord and we hold on to it. So let's begin with Abraham. Abraham, who teaches us that the vision helps us endure delay. Abraham was an old man whose promise from the Lord had been, you will be the father of many nations. I'm going to give you a promised land. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to bless you. And there was a point in Abraham's life where he said, Lord, I'm old. I'm not going to have any more kids, Lord. And if, and if I die today, my servant is going to inherit everything that I own. And God says, go outside, Abraham. Says, Look at the stars. Says, count them. Can you count the stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. And it says that Abraham believed God. And that was it. Abraham didn't get any more signs. Abraham didn't get any more, no, this is definitely how you know. He didn't get lightning from heaven. All he got was the Lord saying, look at the stars. Every time you look up at those stars, you remember, that's how many descendants I'm going to have. Abraham had to wait through delay. God had promised, but he waited and he waited and he waited. And sometimes God gives you a vision. He gives you a dream. He gives you something he wants to accomplish through you. And it's delayed. You're waiting. You're waiting for the calling to be fulfilled. You're waiting for that business to grow. You're waiting for the right person to come along. You're waiting for the church to grow, whatever it is. And we need to learn that just because something is delayed does not mean that God has said no. God told Abraham, I haven't changed a thing. Look up at those stars. That's not who he's like, but there's stars everywhere. Exactly. I want you to hold on to the vision of descendants like the stars of the heavens. The vision will help you endure delay. What about Elijah? Elijah shows us that the vision helps us endure obscurity. 
obscurity. Elijah, I like Elijah. Do you know why? There's no passage in the book of Kings where it tells us, God said to Elijah, go tell King Ahab. Elijah just showed up to King Ahab and said, it's not going to rain for three years unless I say so. And then it says the Lord appeared to Elijah and said, you best get off to the desert. And he went and spent years at the brook Cherith, drinking from the brook and being fed by the ravens. He had a vision of what the Lord is going to do. The Lord is going to cast down the idolatry of Baal. He was going to force the people to acknowledge that the Lord was king. He was going to get rid of Jezebel and, and all of her wickedness. But he had to spend years by himself watching that brook slowly dry up. And after that, he goes up into the land of Sidon, which is where Jezebel had come from, and dwelt with the widow there. He was living in obscurity. He had this God-sized divine vision, and nobody knew about it. Obscurity. Oh, this is hard. When you feel like God's called you to do something, and nobody knows who you are, and nobody cares. We start to think, I've got to do something to promote myself here. I've got to find a way to let some people know who I am. If we just stay quiet and still like this, well, then no one will ever, it'll never happen. I've got to get out and make something happen. But that's not the case. The Lord was preparing Elijah in that obscurity. If you're waiting for the vision to be fulfilled, you might not be ready for it yet. And so God is preparing you. Moses, same thing, in the wilderness for 40 years. He had to undo 40 years of Egyptian bad lessons through lessons as a shepherd in Midian. Obscurity. What about Caleb? Oh, this is an interesting one. The vision helps us to endure loneliness. Caleb and Joshua were the only two spies that came back and said, let's get into that promised land. Yeah, they're big, they're giants, they're Nephilim, but you know what? We're going we're gonna to crush them. They're bread for us, Caleb said. Don't you love Caleb? Because we're going to eat them for breakfast, you guys. And the other ten spies made everybody else afraid. And they didn't get to go into the promised land. But the Lord told Caleb and Joshua, he says, because you guys were faithful, you are going to get to lead my people into that promised land. But that meant that for 40 years, they had to wait. And during those 40 years, Caleb and Joshua watched every other person of their generation die. They would have been unique, the senior citizens in the, in the nation of Israel. And they get ready to go into that promised land, but now they have no, no peers anymore. They have nobody that's, that's their age and their team. That's a lonely thing. Let me tell you, walking in your calling can be lonely. Nobody's with me. Nobody's coming alongside me. Nobody's helping me. Nobody believes in me. I'm alone. Oh, I'll tell you guys, as a pastor, it is a lonely thing sometimes. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'm not complaining, but I'm just telling you, even when you get the calling that God has called you to, it can be a lonely thing. But Caleb was able to go into the promised land, and he was the one that got to go kill all the giants. The Lord's like, don't worry, I've saved a few for you. Get up on that mountain and take them down. The vision was not canceled. He was just lonely. And if you have that picture that God is going to take us into this promised land one day, he can hold on to that as his sign through his loneliness. How about Nehemiah? Nehemiah teaches us that the vision helped us endure danger. Nehemiah showed up. He had been the cupbearer to the king, and he found out that Jerusalem was not being rebuilt. And so he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to help him. I got the king's blessing. But they weren't building the wall because they were surrounded by enemies who wanted nothing but the worst for the, 
the returned exiles of Judah. And they were sending him threats, and they were sending him bribes, and they were going over his head to get his funding removed and his permission removed. And Nehemiah kept going anyway. Nehemiah was a pretty scrappy dude. You read through that book, for real. He really was. But what did he have? He had a vision from the Lord. And we read it. God hadn't even said, you shall go. Nehemiah has had that burden on his heart to see his city restored, to see the walls rebuilt, and to see the exile finally end. And he faced every kind of obstacle, all kinds of danger from every side. But because he knew this is where we're going, he held on to that. What I have in my heart is a good thing. It is a godly thing. It is within the will of the Lord, and God has set me here to do it. So I don't care what the dangers are. I don't care who's after me. I don't care if my job is threatened. I don't care what my paycheck is, is in danger. I don't care if there is actual physical danger, people that want to hurt me for this. Because I have a vision from the Lord, and I'm going to keep going. What about David? David was anointed by Samuel when he was a little kid. And we learn from him that vision helps us to endure opposition. David, anointed to be king as a boy. And then things start to look pretty good for David. He becomes the king's musician. And then he slays Goliath. And he becomes the commander of the army. And Saul is slain his thousands. And David is ten thousands. And then Saul turns on him. And the whole nation is against him. And David's got to go live with the Philistines. With his band of merry men. We call them his mighty men. But it's basically the same thing, right? And all that time, God was not showing up, giving him these wonderful signs and, you know, there's the angels in heaven singing to him. All he had was that memory of Samuel anointing his head and saying, you're going to be king over Israel, enduring opposition. When you start to step up in what God's called you to do, there are going to be people that don't like it and they want to stop you. Even people that you love and should be on your team and should be with you. Because sometimes you can become a reproach to people who are not living out their calling when you step up and start doing it. When you start doing what God's called you to do, everybody around you who's kind of in this, all right, now we, we're going to go this far and no farther, and you start stepping up, all of a sudden, well, you just seem, you're not the same anymore. You really just, you, you change. You're not the same person. And don't you think it's a little excessive? And you, you seem like you're just, you've gotten all judgmental and religious on me now, and it's, yeah, let, let other people do what they're going to do, but you know, you're my friend. You, you need to stay where you are. Even family can do this to you. And of course, the world certainly doesn't want it to happen. There is a, so the Discovery Club is part of a broader ministry that has another similar after-school program. And um, there, is a, there is an atheist group that hates, of course, anybody teaching the gospel in school. And what they do is every, they try, every time somebody sets up what's called a good news club in a school, they try to set up a Satanist club. Because they say, well, the same laws that allow you to preach Jesus should allow us to preach Satanism in, in the school. And, you know, it's not like it ever gets any kind of traction or anything like that. And it's, you know, it's not really intended to teach Satanism. It's more just to make the Christians mad. That's opposition, though, right? You can't do that here. But when you've got that vision in your mind that we're going to reach these kids for the gospel and some of them are going to be dragged down by their parents, but these are going to hear Jesus and those parents are going to hear Jesus and these churches are going to be blessed by the addition of these families. You can keep going. How about Paul? Paul teaches us that the vision helps us endure failure. I think Paul didn't fail. Well, as we define failure, he sure did. He got ran out of town all the time. And then he would hear from his churches that he'd planted and spent years there. Somebody's come in and turned them against Paul. And now they're like, you know what? It's probably best you never come back. 
The Lord told Paul when he was on the Damascus road, God said to Ananias, I have shown him all the things that he must suffer for my sake. That Paul is going to go to preach the gospel to the Jews in Jerusalem, finally get his chance. No one's going to get saved. They're going to throw dust in the air and call for his head. And he gets taken. They're going to flog him. He's able to use his citizenship to get out of being flogged. And he's thrown into a jail cell. How do you think he felt that night? And Jesus showed up to him and said, Good job, Paul. You testified to me here. You're going to testify in Rome, too. You feel like it's not working. I've done everything right. I've endured opposition. I've pressed on. And nothing's happening. Nothing's working. No results, as we say. No results. But he kept going. And now we know that he wasn't a failure because he endured failure. He endured being stoned in Lystra. He endured being driven out of Thessalonica. He endured being imprisoned in Rome. He endured being beaten and shipwrecked and all the rest of that. And he didn't see them as divine signs of God's displeasure because he had a vision from the Lord to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And lastly, the greatest example of all is Jesus Christ, who showed us how to endure suffering for the sake of the vision that God has given to you. Hebrews said that Jesus Christ, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus agreed to go forward with the cross. And it says the reason, the joy that was set before him, he kept in his mind the fact that if I go through this, we're all going to be together one day in heaven forever. I'm going to ransom my brothers and sisters. There's going to be the forgiveness of sins. There's going to be the church. There's going to be the union because of the Holy Spirit between us and them. And so he endured the cross. And you might not be suffering for your vision, but you're, if you know what God has called you to do, you can endure suffering. All these guys, they had no sign. They had no tangible marker. Only God's promise. So you've got to hold on to that. And hold on to that calling so that the ups and downs don't phase you. And you might know exactly what God's called you to do. You might not. I've had a couple defining moments in my life where I can look back and say, God was definitely talking to me. Going into ministry was one of those. Going to seminary was another one of those. Leaving the church where I was on staff was another one. Coming to this city was even another one. You've got to keep those things in your heart and take them out often and examine them and remember them. Let God refine it and take your own biases out of it so it becomes more and more his vision and not yours. When the Pharaoh says no and the Israelites hate you and there's no water in the wilderness, that's when you've got to look to the fact that God said we're going to worship him on this mountain and keep going. Because Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. For my life and for yours, take hold of the vision and run after it. It's not always going to be easy, but it's the only sign you need. Have faith and keep going.